This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for July 24th, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 31 through 33 and 44 through 52. The message is by Father Rick Bowser. Our Gospel this morning was a bunch of parables about mustard seeds and pearls and hidden treasure. Um, Matthew 13, where our gospel is taken from this morning, says that on that same day, this is beginning of verse 1, Jesus went out of the house and sat down by the lake. But such a large crowd gathered around him, he got into a boat, and he sat there while the crowd stood on the shore. He told them many things in parables. <clears throat> then, down in verse 10, the, the disciples came to Jesus afterwards, and it says, Jesus, why are you speaking to them in parables? He answered, because it has been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But it has not been given to them. For anyone who has something will be given more, and will have plenty. Anyone who has nothing will be taken away from him. Here is why I speak to them in parables. They look without seeing, and they listen without hearing or understanding. That is, in them it is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, You will keep on hearing, but never understand. You will keep on seeing, but never perceive. Because the heart of this people has become dull. With their eyes they barely, uh, with their ears they barely hear, with their eyes they have closed, so as not to see with their eyes or hear with their ears or understand with their heart. And then turn so that I can heal them. Whenever Jesus teaches, Whenever he gets up to talk to the people, it's not an intellectual exercise. He hasn't, you know, done his research and stand before them as a professor or a teacher who is quite quoting and citing previous... No. He stands in front of them and tells them parables, stories. You see, the problem is we are not a parable people. Because the word takes on the connotation of a fairy tale, a myth, you know, something that maybe is not true. It's fictitious. Wishful thinking can't stand up to scientific scrutiny. A parable? What does that mean? A pearl, a mustard seed. <clears throat> doesn't stand up to things in the real world. But yet, verse 34 and 35 from our scripture this morning, all of these things Jesus said to the crowd in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without using a, par a parable. This was to fulfill what has been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will say what has been hidden since the creation of the universe. 
What? You'll keep on hearing and not understand. You'll keep on seeing and not perceive. You'll keep on listening and not hear. Because they do not see with their eyes or hear with their ears or understand with their hearts. How can that be? This is the awaited Messiah. This was the one they had heard about, learned about, been taught about in Sunday school all of their lives. I was reminded as I was preparing this sermon about hearing and seeing and understanding and all of those things, I was reminded of a couple of days before I was having dinner and um, I went to the refrigerator, opened the door where on the door is supposed to be a bottle of ketchup. So I looked in, opened the door, there was no ketchup, and I turned around and I said, Valley, where's the ketchup? And she's been through this with me for 40 years. <laughs> and she said, it's on the door in the fridge. I said, no, it isn't. I just looked there. She said, well, look again. So I went out, I looked, and sure enough, right where it was supposed to be was the bottle of ketchup. Why didn't I see that the first time? What's going on in my brain? I didn't perceive a bottle of ketchup. I like to tell Valley it's because I'm too tall. I don't have a good perspective on that. But I was also reminded of a, um, a counseling session I had not long ago with a young man who was um, out in his mid-40s, uh, had a couple of kids, wife, married. He was there seeing me because his marriage was falling apart and his wife was ready to leave him. And he walked into the office, I mean, just literally one anxious, wrapped tight ball of anxiety. Sat down on my couch and just began to spew forth his whole situation, you know, about his life. And he says, and my wife, she's ready to leave me, and I don't blame her because I've been, you know, a really bad, lousy person. But I don't want her to leave. I'm changed. I'm a different person. I just need to explain it. Just tell me what to do. What do I do? Tell me what to do. <clears throat> so after 10 or 15 minutes of this... I thought, literally, I thought he was going to stroke out right there on my couch, you know. I said, okay, all right. I said, I'm going to tell you what to do. Took a little breath, and I said, here's what I want you to do. I said, I want you to tell me what color is the couch that you're sitting on. And he looked at me incredulously. My life is falling apart. My wife is leaving me. I'm losing my family. I'm here to pay all this money to you, an expert, and you're telling me to tell you what color the couch is that I'm sitting on? But here's what he did. It went like this. It's blue. Now, my point is, he didn't know. That man had been in my office for a half an hour sat on that couch for a half an hour, and he didn't know what color it was. That's what anxiety does to us. That's what not being in and of this world does to us. <clears throat> we don't even know. By the way, what color is the pew you're sitting on? <laughs> That's not fair. You've been sitting on that pew for five years now. You should get it right, right? So why didn't I see the ketchup? Why didn't he see the couch? 
We see what we expect to see. And we can't see what's outside of our narrow focus, our anxiety-produced focus. And each of these parables that Jesus is telling to the people or explaining to the people refers to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The problem is we're not a kingdom people. We're a democracy. We run by committees and consensus. We determine our values and our ideas by a poll daily. We take a poll every day to find out what we think and what we believe and what we're supposed to do. Let's take a poll. And then we vote and all that's what we do here in a, in a, in a democracy. We are anti-hierarchical. We threw the king out over 200 years ago. And we've done well, quite well without him, as a matter of fact. All of our governmental systems are run as democracies, our federal, our state, our local, our church. Our families. I don't know if you had a vote in your family, but we run and we think in terms of democracies. We don't understand this concept of a kingdom with a king. And yet here's Jesus telling us God from God, Light from light, true God from true God, incarnate from the Virgin Mary, who became one of us, and he says the parable of a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a pearl. <clears throat> you'll keep on hearing, but you'll never understand. You'll keep on perceiving, but never perceive. Because the hearts of this people have become dull. With their ears they barely hear, with their eyes they have closed, so as not to see with their eyes, or hear with their ears, or understand with their hearts, and turn. The scripture says, and turn, so that I could heal them. Turn to me, the king, and heal them. The problem is, we're sick. According to the Center for Disease and Control uh, for Disease and Control and Prevention, the leading cause of death is heart disease. That's the leading cause of death. Our hearts. Nothing wrong with them. Second cause is cancer. Third is stroke. Fourth is chronic lower respiratory disease. The fifth is accidents. You realize that's the only thing on our list of seven, Alzheimer's and diabetes, that has anything to do with what's going on out there. All these six causes of death and disease are what's going on in here. It's like the tombstone that reads, I told you I was sick. Yes, we are sick, but where do we turn? We turn to science and medicine to heal us. And I'm not suggesting we don't. I'm not suggesting if you go, you're seriously ill, you don't go to the doctor. If you have to go to the hospital, you go to the hospital. I'm not suggesting that. But that's where we turn. Do we turn to the king of the universe? <clears throat> Here's what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting 
that every cell and organ of our physical bodies cannot survive the onslaught of anxiety, disassociation, and disconnectedness from the king of the universe. We can't survive. And that our minds, that, our, that what our minds subject us to with all of this disconnectedness and anxiety and dissociation is we can't even find the ketchup right there in front of us. We don't even know what color the couch is that we're sitting on. Kingdom of God isn't a democracy where everybody gets a vote and God waits for our consensus to make a decision. Jesus is trying to explain all this. This is a kingdom that we live in. And God is the king. But if you want to know what he's like, Jesus said, he's like me. He's all-knowing, he's caring, he's compassionate, he desires relationship with us to the point of sacrificing his own son. He will bring justice and understanding. The problem with your illness is not out there, Jesus said. It's in here. It's in our hearts, in our heads. Your eyes of your soul have become blinded and your ears can't hear me anymore. Kingdom of God is like a mustard seed or a little yeast or a hidden treasure or a pearl of great value or a net thrown into the ocean. Our psalm this morning in the lectionary was Psalm 128. One of my favorite psalms. It says, happy are those who fear the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord. Now, that sounds like an oxymoron to me, right? Happiness, fear, they don't go together. You know, that anxiety that comes with feeling threatened and all the things that we do to deal with that. How am I supposed to be happy by being afraid of God? Well, obviously, that's not what the word fear means, as the psalmist uses it in 128. Fear here is defined as reverencing, a profound awe, a profound respect and love and veneration. Happy are those who reverence, awe, respect, and love and venerate the Lord. But by virtue of the very nature of the word, profound awe, it's difficult for you to express. Words will fail me, but... I'll try. I was sitting in a large audience, a large auditorium, at a table. We'd had a dinner, and now the speaker was speaking. And I was fortunate to get tickets to this particular dinner. And the, and the speaker was Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, Prime Minister of Israel. Uh, it's the only dinner like that of its kind I've ever been to where the speaker was flanked on both sides by armed bodyguards. And they were looking at the audience. They were looking at me and everybody else in the audience, and I felt a little uncomfortable with that, but I get it. I understood. Hey, <laughs> this man needs protecting. And then at the end of the speech, they, the two bodyguards were joined by three other bodyguards, and we were asked to sit at our table while he left the auditorium. Not get up, just sit there. And so as it turned out, he was escorted out of the, out of the room and out of the auditorium by these five armed bodyguards. And as it turned out, he walked right past my table. 
I'm not sure why I did it, and on second thought, I probably wouldn't. But as he came past, I reached out my hand to shake his hand. Now I think about it, and I think maybe I'm surprised I didn't end up with a you know, handcuff or something. They escorted me somewhere else. But they all stopped, and, and Netanyahu stopped, and he looked down at me, and he got a little kind of a wry smile on his face. He reached out, and he shook my hand. And then he left. I thought, wow. That was awesome. <laughs> I was in awe of that man. Not just that he shook my hand, but his presence. And then I think about trying to describe to you awe and wonder about reverencing. And Netanyahu is not necessarily a king, although the word Netanyahu does mean gift from God. And I remember the second um, time I was thinking, as I was thinking about preparing this sermon, uh, Valley and I had... Uh, Flown to Italy, um, spent some time. Her, she's Italian, and her ancestors are from Italy. And we joined up with our friends, Scott and Sylvia. I don't know where Scott went, but Sylvia's here this morning, actually. We hooked up with our friends. Well, we'd flown into Rome. That was where we flew in. We flew into Rome and um, uh, went to our bed and breakfast, slept the night, you know, like you do for like 12, 13 hours when you've had a long flight like that. We woke up, and Valley says to me, she says, Rico, that's what she calls me. That's her Italian word for me, and by the way, not everybody gets to call me that. <laughs> she said, Rico? She said, um, <clears throat> I had a dream last night about my name. Her last name's Di Pietro, which means of Peter. And she said, I don't know, I just sensed that we're supposed to go to the Vatican today. Okay, St. Peter's, you know, St. Peter's Basilica. So we were about 10, 20, 25 minutes walking distance from the Vatican, and, I mean, it's our first day in Rome. We walked through the streets, and we walked down and walked to that long promenade and boulevard that, that leads up to the, um, to the piazza and then St. Peter's. I mean, this is a grand place. <laughs> it, is, it is awesome. I, I don't know of any place we have like that around here. And so we're walking down, and it's just, you know, I'm beginning this whole sense of being caught up in something else. We walk into the piazza, and there's like 30, 40,000 people milling around, all different nationalities, mostly young people. And so when we walk in, and we walk up to St. Peter's to go in, because we had this dream, and we're supposed to be here. And so we walk up, and uh, there was a Swiss guard standing there with his outfit on. He said, nope, closed. Closed. I look at Valley and I say, okay, it's your dream, you know. Now, now what? <laughs> now what? So anyway, I thought, well, let's just hang around for a while. So we milled around with all the other thousands of people that were there, you know, went and bought a postcard at the Vatican, and like everybody does. And then I noticed that there was, on one side of the piazza, was a, was a whole row and bank of uh, metal detectors, like you have in the uh, airport. And at some point in the process, this crowd of people began to gather in front of these metal detectors. Now, you have to understand, in Italy, there are no lines. You don't have lines in Italy. I mean, they have traffic laws and stoplights and all those kinds of things. But I came to understand, those are just suggestions, you know. 
stop if you want or not, what kind of a thing. So um, we, we were right there kind of milling when the crowd began to mill over in front of these metal detectors. And we said, hmm, wonder what's going on. So we stood there, and sure enough, they opened this whole bank of metal detectors, and people st start flying through these metal detectors. You know, and they're just grabbing their stuff and shoving it through and running. And so we did. Put our stuff in, run through, and we, we get on the other side of the metal detector, and everybody starts to sprint. I mean, they're running. They're running from the metal detectors through this little maze and stuff like that, so we start running, you know? <laughs> you know? And, and I, at that, thinking I'd turn around and see the bulls chasing me, and you know, at any time. But that was Spain, and this was Rome, so. Anyway, we got to, we're sprinting through, and then sure enough, we get right to this place, and they'd open the doors, and we're right in, and there's St. Peter's. We're standing in St. Peter's. Now, this place is awesome. Have you ever been there? Anybody been there? You know what I'm saying. This is a really one of the most awesome structures in the world. Marble, gold, statuary. But the whole place was set up for a mass. I mean, they had chairs and a center aisle, and they had a choir. They had a, an orchestra. And I mean, the place was set up for a mass. And we're like, wow, wow, wow. And then people started to enter into this one you know, place where they, where they went in to go to the seating, and we kind of followed this group in and um, went in and got a seat right next to the aisle because we were some of the first people there. We got a seat right next to the aisle, and we were sitting there, and this is pretty awesome, but what's going on, and what are we doing here? So Valley, she turns around to some people behind her, and a couple of guys, and she's trying to speak Italian, like, you know, what, 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 what's going on today? Why are we here, you know, kind of a thing. And they had a little trouble, you know, understanding each other in Italian. Pretty soon, there's this other couple, young couple, that came in, sat next to us, and the young lady leaned forward, and she said, I, I heard you talking to the men behind you. I speak English. What do you want to know? And we said, well, we want to know what's going on. <laughs> and she looked at us like, you don't know? We said, no. She said, do you have a ticket? We said, nope. And she said, this is, I love the tell about the Italians. She said, well, I guess you were supposed to be here. She said, today is the one day of the year during Holy Week where the Pope holds a mass for the youth of the world. If you're at a certain age, you had to go to the diocese, the head of the diocese. You had to go and from the, from the bishop receive a ticket, a special ticket to go to this mass. And here we were sitting on the aisle in the middle of this mass. We said, wow. I said, so I said, you mean, will the Pope be here? She said, it's a papal mass. <laughs> I said, really? I mean, I said, will, will he like walk right here? She said, yeah, that's what they did. Process and, and you know, and stuff. I said, you know, will he be in that, you know, bodyguards and that little bubble and everything like you see on TV? She said, no. Just be him walking right along. And I thought, wow. We're here, St. Peter's, for a mass. Place is set up. Unbelievable. And what's more unbelievable is that I had spoken to God. I had this conversation with God before we went to Italy. And I said to God, God, this is totally ludicrous, ridiculous, and, and, and I don't even know why I'm asking you this, but I'd, when I'm in Italy, I'd, I'd like to see the Pope. 
And I'm thinking, you know, he's up there in that little balcony and there's five million people, you know, and then I probably would have taken that, you know, as an answer to prayer. But here we are, set up, right on the aisle, papal mass. And I said, by the way, God, I know this sounds totally ridiculous, but I would like to look into his eyes. Because I read eyes. And I would like to see this man's eyes. And so... Here we are. I mean, pretty soon we're there for two hours, and the music starts to play, and the choir begins to sing, and they turn the lights on in St. Peter's. Now, I know the lights were already on. You could see what you're doing. But in St. Peter's, there's a rack of lights that's about this high that goes all the way around St. Peter's. And they turn those lights on, and this place lit up like a Christmas tree. And I mean, we were, I was just, wow. Awe. And wonder. And then here comes the procession. And you have to remember, this is a, this is the mass for the youth of the world. Now, for them, this is a rock concert, right? And these literally, they're standing on their chairs, going Benedictus. Ben, I mean, we're at a mass, right? They're singing, and the kids are jumping up and down, singing. And here comes the procession. Here comes the cardinals and all the academic kind of stuff. And here comes the pope. And there's this little man with a miter and an outfit and all this kind of stuff. And he's just walking down the aisle and he's giving people blessings and things like that. And literally, he was about from me to the, the middle of that altar. And he turned like this and he looked at me and went, okay, he gave me a papal blessing. Now, I, I can't tell you what that feels like. There aren't words to express. I can use awe. I can use wonder. I can use reverencing. And I know this maybe not a king, but he's about as close as you get on this planet. And so as I was thinking about what they meant by fear the Lord, <clears throat> at that moment, I was standing in awe and reverence. Kingdom of God is a parable. It's a spiritual truth that's more real than the seat that you're sitting on. It's more real than the person you're sitting next to. It's more real than the air that you breathe. Jesus said, You will keep on hearing, but you won't understand. And all these things he said to the crowd in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without using a parable, which was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables, and I will say what has been hidden since the creation of the universe. Our letter this morning from Paul was Romans chapter 8. It says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, the God, King of the universe, is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare even his own son, but gave him up on behalf of us all. Is it possible that have him having given us his son, he would not give us everything else too? So who will bring charges against God's chosen people? Certainly not God. He is the one who causes them to be considered righteous, 
Who punishes them? Certainly not Jesus, who died, and more than that, has been raised and at the right hand of God, is actually pleading on our behalf. Who will separate us from the love of the Messiah? Trouble? Hardship? Hunger? Poverty? Danger? War? As the law of scriptures put it, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are conquerors through the one who has loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor heavenly rulers that exist nor what is coming, neither powers above or powers below or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, the King of the universe, which comes to us through Jesus, the Messiah, our Lord. Amen. You have just been listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to Come and See.